The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome to Actually Interesting. I'm Russell Brown and this is a podcast about artificial intelligence brought to you by the spin-off in partnership with Microsoft. This episode we're going to explain a bit more about how AI works, the limits of artificial intelligence and some of the things we should be thinking about ourselves with the assistance of Kane O'Donnell, the head of data science at Aware Group in Hamilton. Who's that you say? Well, Aware Group is a company that counts. That is, it counts things on behalf of customers. Cars, widgets, people in crowds, people in rooms. And it does that primarily with the assistance of machines that look at pictures and identify what's in them. Now, computers can't automatically tell a person from a dog or a bag of cement. They have to be trained to do that by showing pictures of what a person looks like. Lots and lots of pictures. This is called machine learning and it's a form of AI. That's the basis not only of counting people, but next step, identifying them by recognising their faces. And when you're doing that kind of work, you need to be thinking about what you're doing. Kane has shared that thinking on various forums, including the ethics panel at this year's AI Day conference. And now he's here to share it with us. Welcome, Kane. Hello, nice to be here. Yeah, now, um, Aware Group could be described, um, certainly in terms of the work you've recently been doing, as a company that counts and counts things. Um, How did you become that kind of company? Was there a particular job that set you in that direction? I think it it was a bit of context. We started sort of three years ago, originally focusing a lot on the tertiary institutes. And a problem that kept cropping up there was actually taking attendance, um, now we can get into the um, knowing if a specific individual is in the class maybe later um, if we want to go there, but there's actually a big problem just for the facilities teams to know how many people are using their buildings. So uh, if I've got, I'm meant to have 100 people in this lecture and there's only five people turning up, I, that's pretty important information and that affects how I do my timetables and also making big investment decisions around um, should I get a new building, for example, or how do I reallocate my um, facilities? So this was a big problem, and we did a kind of a bunch of work around sort of the problem, and then we started thinking around using computer vision, which is sort of what we specialize in, so taking a, an image, in this case, just counting how many people are in the room. So 
that I think was the the key one that prompted us. And as we've progressed, we've found that there are sort of other avenues for knowing um, when an object is there, and obviously. Uh, determining attributes around it is sort of another thing that we do when you're looking at a, a particular Is, is that kind of where the AI comes in, is, 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 mm-hmm. is being able to look at the picture and tell the difference between a person and a, and a backpack? Correct. And so in this case, it wasn't actually creating a new solution. I, I believe most of the tertiaries once a semester would have a person physically come in and sort of eyeball how many people are in the rooms because many tertiaries weren't taking attendance properly because if you think you've got 500 people in a lecture, it's just not feasible for the, the lecturer to sit down and take names. So it was already kind of being done by proxy, but where we used the AI was if they've already got a camera system in place that's generally used for security purposes, if we can just take a, an image every five minutes, say, and just say, look, uh, there's 100 people in this lecture theatre, it's a relatively easy one to implement. And there are less uh, privacy and ethics considerations given all we're really doing is there's 100 people. We're not saying identities or anything like that. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? The, the, the camera's already there. There have already been humans coming and doing a count. Yes. So it's exactly the same thing on one level, and yet people are going to be more uneasy about it, aren't they? Yes, and maybe this one, my favourite example for this is facial recognition, actually. So rightly so, um, people get up in arms about facial recognition in general. And I think that's that's partly um, misunderstanding and partly that it can be done really poorly and really well using using AI. But the thing I want to come back to is that in the UK, they've got super recognisers, they call them. So they actually have people that they've sort of tested and the police use them and they're really good at recognising individuals in crowds. So facial recognition is kind of already a solved problem without AI. It's just, it becomes a little bit easier with with machine learning, AI, um, and the, kind of the bad side of it is it becomes a lot easier to do government surveillance, and I think you look around the world and there are places where that might be happening. But on the flip side, it, it can actually be really beneficial. So the issue with a super recognizer, right, and, and this comes down to what's privacy. So for me, the ultimate thing is, A, that I'm on the on the camera in the first place, which is as you're alluding to. But if that's already in place, a super recognizer, they're a person, and, and ultimately I'm... I don't I haven't thought this one too far through, but I'm mainly concerned with privacy things when someone else learns about something that I did. Basically, if if the stars see what I did and all that sort of thing, I'm I'm not worried because no one really did anything. So with the super recognizer, maybe they're sitting there and they're looking, and they they see their their wife come into frame. They're not looking for their wife, but they see that, and then all of a sudden you actually get kind of reasonably considerable ethical questions by having a person reviewing footage. So in the case of AI, I know it can be used for bad things, but it can actually be good because the computer doesn't care if your wife walks in. It's just another face, another ID, and if it's not looking for it, then no one will ever know. So it can kind of be provably uh, unbiased, and you can actually protect yourselves. Now, you have to do that really well because there are many cases of actual bias, so it detects different ethnic groups, et cetera, differently. Um, but that's kind of a, a, an issue with how you implement it. If you go back to the thing that, well, actually I can identify a person without having anyone even look at it, um, you can kind of minimise a lot of the the, the issues that, that you might kind of face. But in terms of the creep factor, and I'm, I'm, I'm a sort of self-confessed tin hat, like I'm, I'm pretty uh, careful about privacy and such, I wouldn't want facial recognition or even really, I wouldn't really want to be on a camera until I was pretty confident that I knew where 
that data was going and how it was being used. And that's a trust thing, which I think is the biggest thing at the moment around AI and similar things with driverless cars, right? How do I trust that where my data going is only going to be used for that specific purpose and not sending me targeted ads, for example? So we're kind of seeing that with Google and Facebook, and that that's a, a challenge for us, right? And it also means we're kind of extra careful around how we um, say what AI can be useful because I think there are cases of AI being used the wrong way, and um, that harms us because we're trying to use AI the right way and then people get the wrong image and so it's kind of a big convoluted mess. I, I, I guess it's also the case that, that we usually encounter something like facial recognition in situations where we're powerless and, and we, we have no control over, you know, basically you know, crossing borders is the classic one. You yes. just do what you're told and you do feel powerless. That's true. Now, um, there is, you do have some power um, and that's maybe something we'll get onto later and that the way you can actually fool these systems. Now, I guess the question is you don't want to be messing around with immigration and trying to trick them and, and all that sort of thing. Um, that's maybe a, a bigger discussion. I think it's separate to AI. So I think in the States, they are allowed to take any of your devices and require that you give the password. I'm, don't quote me on that. I, th- I think that's the case. So the bigger issue here is that someone has made a law which has given someone the power to invade your privacy, be that taking an image of you, uh, strip search, I guess, that's another one. Um, taking your devices, I think that's the key issue, not so much AI. So we could also have a person which is just sitting, a super recognizer, right, sitting there and you'd have the same sort of privacy concerns. So I think this is where I try and separate AI from the actual bigger concerns around what people are doing. With so that, yeah, that, that's actually an interesting point. We should consider AI and facial recognition in particular in terms of all the other privacy concerns that we might have. It should be part of that conversation. Correct. So I mean, I could build a software product which I could sell as facial recognition, but it's actually got people in the back room just trying to super recognize us, trying to do the thing. Um, that from a product point of view, it would be offering the same value and it's not AI. But it's, so that's kind of where I'm going. It's, it's not the AI that's the problem. It's the someone has made a choice that they are going to take this capture imagery of people and they're going to use it to do facial recognition and they might do nefarious things like I'll, I'll just keep a history of all the people that went through for the last month just so I can et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's where it starts to go downhill. It's the people that make those decisions, not kind of the specific method that they choose to do the facial recognition, if that makes sense. How big a leap would it be to um, <clears throat> go from recognising who's in the room to telling whether they're paying attention? Oh, now that's, that's an easy one. Uh, it's totally feasible. So this is kind of where maybe we do a brief introduction of what um, AI or machine learning. So I'll, I'll throw the two out there because AI, artificial intelligence, generally implies something which uh, academics, it's, it's not a thing at the moment, and it implies something like Skynet, something they can actually think and reason. So what we'll, we'll keep calling it AI, but what it actually is is just pattern recognition. So basically you give it a million images and it will get really good at recognizing a particular thing in the image. So if we go to, is someone paying attention or not? That's actually a really easy one. Um, there are kind of hard parts around getting good images and all that sort of thing, but the actual uh, AI algorithm is really basic. Give me a million images of people paying attention and a million images of people not paying attention, and I'm pretty sure I'll get really good at knowing the difference between them. So this is where it's it's 
it's, it does one thing really, really well, and it can do it better than an individual, um, but it's still just one particular skill. So it can't then kind of, you can't then just go and ask the exact same thing. Oh, now tell me if someone um, was uh, happy or sad. It's a completely different problem, and you might have to give it another million images. So in terms of is that feasible, yes, um, it is, I think there are even services that get close to offering you that. I think, yeah, that, yeah, there's some which tell you based on your facial expression, are you neutral or happy or sad? So pretty close to engagement. So that's definitely a feasible one. So it can tell what we're thinking. No. <laughs> so do, does your face always express what you're thinking? Um, yeah, I don't know. Does it? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know either. So, so um, this is where you have to be careful with correlation and causation and all those other things. And that comes down to, again, how do I apply my AI solution? So maybe what I do is, um, this is where we're kind of getting back to facial recognition in classrooms, I guess, is, yep, I'm looking at all those students and I could have something which is saying, are they engaged or not? Now, you can use that for good purposes. So maybe what you find is that, you know, along with whether a person actually turns up, whether they're engaged is a likely predictor of how likely they are to succeed. Now that 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 can already sorry already be used in a bad way, but actually it could be used in a good way. The student support team could jump in really early on and actually help them before they fail the exam, because at the moment they only know someone's having trouble when they fail. So it could be used in a really good way, or it could be used in a really bad way for punitive measures and all that. Um, but even then, you have to be really careful because someone might be engaged because they've just given up caring about this course or they might be having trouble at home and their mind is on different things, or maybe, and this is where it gets you know, sensitive, is maybe the particular lecturer is just a very unengaging person. Um, so you have to be really careful around, once you get this metadata out of the image, which is kind of what the AI is telling you, this person is engaged or not, you have to be very careful how you use it. Um, and that's one thing that we, we try and explain to our customers is that, um, we can give you these results, but we kind of want to do the hand-holding along the way to say, how can you use them? Because you can use them for a really poor purpose. Well, I guess you have to be uh, particularly careful uh, when you're going into anything predictive. If you're looking at any kind of data and say, about a person and saying, this is what we think they're going to do, that's when you're getting into quite tricky territory, aren't you? I think you have to be careful in general drawing any conclusion about a person um, be it predictive or even just looking at uh, you know an image of them and trying to determine some attributes so maybe I can oh, I guess it is predictive isn't it um, it's tied in but you know let's say I build a model which predicts whether someone's going to shoplift when they walk into my store I mean I, I don't think that one's a feasible one but you can try and do that and determine that metadata it's, it's not really predicting I, I guess you could say it is but I think any any instance where you're using machine learning to draw some conclusion about a person, uh, you have to be careful with because there's all the considerations around privacy and bias, et cetera. Now, predictions in terms of is someone likely to pass or fail a course, yes, you've got to be careful, but I think there are also, yeah, there are many other cases where you have to be careful. I, I must say I'm impressed that you've clearly done all this thinking. Do you, do you think that's that's essential if you're going to work with this kind of technology to actually to to think it through? I think if you're going to do it well, you have to. Um, so at the moment, 
there aren't that many applications out there of, of using this sort of thing really well. And part of that is, like I mentioned before, you might have to give me a million images. And for most people, that's not feasible. So for driverless cars, the reason they exist is because Tesla and Google have driven, I don't know how many billions of miles and got all that data for you. But at the moment, it's still quite hard to get data. So there, there aren't many cases of it happening. And I think the, the thing is, Anything that happens looks kind of new and sexy, and often it's not tracked a year down the down the um, track to see. Well, did that actually, for example, in the case of student uh, predicting a student's likelihood to pass or fail, did it actually help? So it's it's kind of it's at the moment it's all because it's novel and new. It's focused on hey, we've got this great new solution for predicting if you pass or fail. There's not often the follow up a year later which says, oh yeah, but when we actually use that to start contacting students, we actually made things worse. So I think that's um, where it's partly that's just new, which makes it hard to say um, if people are doing it poorly, is it is it actually um, being reported on and such. But I think to do it well, you, you do have to consider all this sort of thing and you have to be really careful. And this is kind of, again, I want to separate AI from, I guess, normal software development. So there are some key features around AI which um, make things really challenging. So it, it's just pattern recognition, as I mentioned before, and it's it's not actually, or it's very hard to explain why it made a decision. So it's kind of like a black box. So if I um, train something to recognise whether it's a, a cow or a um, or a sheep, right? Oh no, actually, let's go with let's go with a sheep or a bird. Um, tell me how you would decide whether this is an image of a sheep or a bird. Just throw something out there. Uh, how many legs it's got. Okay, that's great. That's a reasonable um, interpretation. Maybe a sheep is, you know, it's like this white fluffy thing and a bird's got like a yellow beak, whatever. That's what we would reasonably expect. However, and there are some really good and often funny cases of this, uh, that can be totally incorrect. And all that the model is actually doing is whenever you gave me a picture of the sheep, there was a green background and of a bird, there was a blue background. So actually... To be, I can be 100% right by just saying if there's more green in the picture, it's a sheep, and if there's more blue, it's it's a bird. So that's that interpretability becomes a real challenge because if you can't say why it's making a decision, then you open yourself up to all these considerations around bias and such. Um, the other aspect of machine learning is that you can't guarantee a sensible result out of it, which is, which is kind of tied in with the previous one. So there's no way that I can guarantee that my Tesla is never going to um, just randomly swerve off the road. So you can do that by writing your software in, su software in such a way that if the model says drive off the road or make a sudden, sudden sharp turn, don't do it. But there's actually very little way to, to guarantee that it's going to act rationally. So that becomes um, a, a quite a challenge in terms of how you implement these systems and you have to be quite careful. But ultimately actually comes down to the person who built this product. They're choosing to use a solution, whatever it is, it could be a person or whatever, a solution which they can't guarantee the outcome of and they can't explain. So ultimately I think it's less of an issue around um, the AI again. It's that someone made a call to use this solution which they can't guarantee an outcome. So in some cases that's fine. So if we're counting the number of people in a room, Thing, terrible things aren't going to happen if we say there are a thousand people in the room in, in just one particular instance for some reason. Um, there could be cases like a driverless car where terrible things can happen. So it's, I think it ultimately comes back to, again, not the AI. It's the choice by the person 
you've built that product to say, yeah, I'm happy to use this thing which I can't understand and I can't guarantee it's going to be sensible and I'm not going to take the, you know, invest the time in kind of putting all those checks and balances in place. That's where I think you get into trouble. So it's, a, it's partly about understanding the limits and, and understanding that there's... Correct. <laughs> while you can call this AI intelligent, it's intelligent in a very narrow and restricted way. Correct. And I think that's one of the biggest things that worries me is that I think the common understanding is that AI is kind of magic and it can do anything and we don't apply that sniff test. And I think it was actually the spinoff that reported on Albie Whale and what did he call his... He had some sort of chatbot, which is apparently listening to uh, doctor's notes and transcribing them, et cetera. And actually, I, th- I think what it is alleged, which happened, but sounds pretty sensible to me, is that um, you know they had to email the transcript of the audio, and then 20 minutes later, it would come back with um, the notes or whatever. Actually, all that was happening was it was getting sent to a person to just read it, and no one was kind of giving it that sniff test that, this seems really odd. How can this just be happening and all these sorts of things? And there are a lot of things you can do to protect yourself kind of against that and kind of um, sniff test things that you can look at if you're not a practitioner. But basically, I, I, the, I mean, the simplest way to me is think is it's, it's pattern recognition, right? So it's trying to do this or that. Um, sometimes it can appear like quite a complex thing when it's still kind of just pattern recognition. But to do it, you need a lot of data. You need to understand all the biases involved. You need to know what's going to happen if it's never seen this thing before. So... What I mean by pattern recognition is it looks over the million images and it says, oh, yeah, the ones that generally look like this new image you gave me in the past, those people were generally um, engaged or not engaged. That's how it works. So it can never handle something that's never seen before. So if for some reason... um, Will it try then to interpret this thing it's never seen before as something that... It, it is familiar with. No, there is no uh, guarantee. So let's say Tesla um, train their cars and they have lots of people walking across the street so it learns about pedestrians and it learns to stop, et cetera, et cetera. There is no guarantee that if someone walked across the road doing a handstand that it would pick them up. It might think that they're uh, um, you know, just the median barrier and just drive straight through them. So this is where I kind of go back to around the, that guarantee and such. Um, it's It's quite a challenge now. Again, there are ways you can do things more appropriately and that sort of thing, but ultimately it's just pattern recognition. And if it's never seen something before, like a person crossing the road on their hands, um, you can't guarantee the outcome there. So these are things which you have to think about kind of with a sniff test. So if you're getting sold a solution which magically can do all these new things, then then you might sort of wonder about it. Um, but uh, is, is it partly a matter of how high the stakes are? I mean, if you're doing a crowd count, which is something yep. you've also worked on, a, a, mm-hmm. a where, and you count something that's not a person, the the stakes aren't very high there, Correct. are they? Whereas if a um, an autopiloted Tesla can't see someone because they're doing yep. a handstand, then that the stakes are really high there. Yep, totally. So this, I mean, this is a thing that's been in, in software development for a while. Like, um, there are solutions where people hard code computer vision things and they write specific algorithms so oh, if there's things that look like eyes and etc then it's probably a, a person all that sort of thing um, ultimately they're kind of choosing to do that and they know the risks and they know that for this use case it's appropriate so it's it's that jump to where someone's kind of saying okay this is a high risk activity and I'm happy to trust something which I can't guarantee that's, that's where it gets iffy now I, I don't want to imply that things are all terrible and your Tesla's going to drive off the road because 
you have to remember that they have driven billions of miles and they've trained their models and it's performed just right in all those, well, I'd like to think it has, in all those billions of miles. So if you are driving a particular mile, then maybe there's a one in a billion chance sort of thing that it hasn't been something it's seen before and things might go poorly. But actually, if you're like the majority of people, then it's probably going to be fine and it's going to do a really useful thing. And there are ways to protect it. And again, I'm, I'm not a self-driving car expert, um, so there, there are probably other things they do to protect against all this this sort of thing, and that's just kind of an example. But, um, yeah, you do have to be careful. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, there are clearly, I mean, one of the positive applications of AI, we've actually spent quite a lot of time talking about the risks. Mm. Um, where, uh, where are the, the contexts where this kind, of, this kind of technology can actually have a positive benefit? I think there are many. And this comes down to if you're looking at a particular skill pattern that you're interested in, it, machine learning gets to the point where it is it is better than humans often. Now, things like, like we mentioned before, taking attendance to give students proactive support and actually helping them pass, that's, that's a really positive outcome. Medical is a, ne- a really big one. So there are cases where they've looked at uh, I don't know, some sort of medical imaging, I don't know if it's x-rays or whatever, um, they have found that their machine learning system can be more accurate than some doctors in detecting things like cancer and early warning. Um, there's all the genomics work that's going on. Um, it's uh, what's the the neat ones that Google often come out with applications. So speech recognition and transcribing to text, but also automated. I can be talking to you in English, and it can actually be real time, kind of transcribing that and talking to you in Mandarin, and we can actually have a conversation in different languages. Like, wow, that's that's yeah. Really I think great. someone someone demoed the latest version of that recently, and yeah. it was in- <laughs> incredibly convincing. So there are some really cool applications and really powerful um, to to do a lot of good. You can obviously also do a, a lot of bad. So in all of those cases, it's like this is really useful. Um, what's the consequence if I'm wrong? I guess is the thing, and that medical especially, you're not going to trust any model without getting a person to review it, for example, and that's generally what we recommend. So if if it is something really sensitive, you're recommending whether a person gets chemo or not, that should not be something you trust your your model with, almost at any point, even if you've had 10 years of success. So the decision shouldn't shouldn't be trusted to the machine, but the advice... Yes, valuable. And so I think often what they actually do with doctors is they use the machine, the machine learning or the AI to pull out things that it thinks are of interest and highlight them for the doctor, and then the doctor reviews them. And occasionally it picks up something that the doctor didn't see, sort of thing. And, and they're actually finding that when you combine the doctor with the machine learning, it's more accurate than either one. So does does everything you tell a machine to look out for and interpret? Have to be quantifiable. Is that is that the this? I mean, um, y- yes and no. So, if you want to do something very specific, like is this person engaged or not? Generally, what's required is you have to give it a million images, which you say this person is engaged, and a million where it said this is not. So that has to be quantified. You have to tell it what is the thing that you're actually looking for. And basically the, the recent, what was it, last 10 years advancements have just been really advanced ways of, to do that pattern recognition for that particular thing you're looking for. There are other ways of, of kind of doing things, um, but generally 
I think in most scenarios, it's it's what they call a supervised learning. So you have to you have to supervise it and tell it this is what you're looking for. So you, you basically you're, you're presenting with the whole of the pictures and you're saying this is what an engaged person looks mm-hmm. like. You're not having to break down the correct. Yeah, yes. you're not having yes. to say an engaged person displays these totally. These so, so in the past, maybe what you would have done is. Right, I'm going to detect where their eyes are and see how far apart their eyelids are to see if they're asleep or not, for example. Now, um, I've immediately opened myself to a, um, an obvious ethical one there, if you've caught on that. But that's how it would have been done in the past. I'm going to pick on particular things, and I think these correlate with engagement, and that will then tell me whether the person's engaged. Machine learning is great, and this is why it's so powerful, is because I don't care what the person looks like if they're standing on their head or not as long as you give me images that say this person is engaged or not I can learn patterns about it without having to hard code anything which the flip side is I can't really explain it but in terms of doing it it's really easy all you have to do is you know just give me a million images so that's kind of the power and the um, the, the ultimate fault in it as well uh, are there things that that um, that worry you about about AI yeah so the the biggest one Apart from the, I guess the, the general, maybe the misunderstanding in the population around what AI is and, and what it can do, is probably the recent stuff around um, deep fakes. I think so. If people aren't familiar, it basically allowed you to put a person's head on a different person's body in a video, and the the, the negative one there being you would put a particular person's head on a, a video of pornography, for example. Now, that was really powerful and got to the point that was reasonably convincing, and that's obviously only going to get better. Um, as a side note, they found that the, the best way to determine whether or not uh, this was a deep fake was whether or not the person blinked because it's trained on images on that you find on the web. Wow. And generally, people aren't blinking in their images, so the, tr- the deep fake actually never blinks, which was an interesting way to detect it. But there there is examples like that where you can actually – you're effectively manipulating reality, and you can do it with audio as well. So you can you can put some text in, and you could get me to be saying this. So I might not even be here doing this interview if you want. You could grab a sample of me talking somewhere else, train a model, and ta-da. Preferably, so, preferably not nude, but... <laughs> yes, well, another one, I think Deep Nudes came out yeah. just a month ago where... You could give it a person's, uh, a, I think it was only women, and so again we have this this issue, and basically a, a, an image of a clothed woman, and it was trained in such a way that it would effectively remove the clothes. Now, that sort of thing is terrible because it's, um, how do we, we don't know what to trust, and it means it's going to get easier and easier for people to manipulate the truth, and, and I I mean, there are certain world events where where we're already seeing that people are manipulating the truth without even doing anything clever like this, right? But if I can say, well, well look, here's a video of it happening. Clearly it happened. What do we do there? And I, I believe it was used in the um, in a couple of cases in American politics. I think I vaguely recall one may have been done with Nancy Pelosi and et cetera. So that, that becomes how do you combat that now? Machine learning can actually come to the rescue uh, because it can get really good at detecting deep fakes. Right. But this That's means we're in a situation where any type of content, anything we hear, any video we see, do we have to run it through a detector to decide if it's real or not? And then what if actually someone's just come up with a new way of doing it, which our detector can't detect? And like, how do we how do we trust? anything like that's 
I'm, I'm not meaning it too, you know, um, well, the, dystopian. Well, the, the but... Nancy Pelosi one was interesting because the, what was done there wasn't all that sophisticated. Mm. They, they just time-stretched uh, and then pitch, pitch, So it wasn't actually machine learning? Her voice. No, right. so that, the, but okay. machine learning could help us spot that quite easily. Definitely. Um, and there are a couple of other ones, I think, with um, the reporter apparently hitting the White House aide, I think, that, that machine learning could have easily picked up on. Um, but yes, if, if there's a case where you're actually using machine learning to generate these things and put words in Nancy Pelosi's mouth that she didn't say it wasn't just a time lapse, it was just completely new, um, that's really weird. And, and I mean, the way these ones work is uh, you can actually set up a... So I can be sitting here talking and the machine learning can be running and it can be based on images of Russell Brown and it, you can be I can be getting you to basically say what I'm saying and mimic my facial expressions. So I've got complete control over this image of you, which is, it's that to me, that's the scariest thing. Less around, I think all of these things with um, how do we use machine learning, machine learning, all the driverless cars, the facial recognition, I'm, I think they're big issues, but I'm less worried about them because they're kind of standard problems that we've had before. And ultimately, someone's just making a decision that, okay, this is going to work for me. And it's that decision that's the problem. Whereas something like... Um, yeah, deep fakes, kind of not knowing what's real. I think that's a hard one. You know, how is that going to affect court and and the legal system? Yeah, well, I, I guess so. The, I mean, the, the, as things stand, <clears throat> someone with expertise could look at a deep fake and identify it. Probably. Maybe unless I specifically trained the model such that people with expertise can't see it. You're scaring me now. Yeah, this is the thing. It is it is scary. So. Uh, Recently, there was a great, if you're interested, um, go look up GPT-2 by OpenAI. It was a, a machine learning model which learned basically to understand text. And I say that in scare quotes because understand simply in the case of pattern recognition, so it's not actually intelligent. But they chose not to release it because it could be used to generate fake news. So they wanted people to have the chance to build something to detect the fake news before they actually released the thing that could generate the fake news. And... Um, that's also scary given how much we kind of think based on on the, the fake news and such. But if you do go look at that, look up the unicorn story because it's, it's a fantastic story generated about unicorns and it's well worth reading. But this, this, this sort of generally does scare me. And the one other aspect um, that I think is starting to be acknowledged is they call it adversarial network attacks. So basically, if you give me access to your model, I can figure out the things which it hasn't been trained on and how to mess with it. So they did one where facial recognition, they discovered a particular sticker that you can put on your face and it completely confuses who you are. And I mean, that's useful if I don't want my privacy known, but what if I figure out how to convince it that I'm Russell Brown? And I, you know, we're using uh, facial recognition for getting money out of the ATM. I figure out this particular way to attack the network and I grab money out of your account. Or... The one recently was Tesla's driverless cars. They figured out a particular, I think, it, I don't know the details, but it was something along the lines of a particular spot to put on the road in front of the Tesla, which causes it to swerve into oncoming traffic. Now, that's also really scary because if we're starting to trust AI more and more and we can easily attack it, and that's, that's kind of an active area of research, but we're, most software's got all these robust defenses around people trying to attack it. But machine learning, not so much. So there are ways to protect against it, but that also worries me. 
Yeah, I'm slightly worried now too. Although I must say, I'm um, I'm, I'm greatly reassured that there are people like you working in the field. <laughs> well, I guess the thing is, someone has to take a stand, right? And I'm not saying that's me. Uh, how do we prevent it? You know, if, if there are big organisations that are profiting greatly from using AI, maybe in a way which people would be uncomfortable with, how are we going to stop that? And I think, again, that's probably less of an AI-specific problem. Um, we're looking at all kind of the kickback against Google and Facebooks and such, and it's just the general fact of how they're using data and they're, how they're doing things. Um, but how are we going to change things? And is it, is it, and this we had a discussion a while back on this, is it something that the law can handle? Or are you going to rely on me doing something in my own time to hopefully, you know, is that where we're at? I don't know. Does it need to be activism? So do, you th- do you think we'll get to the point where we all understand the principles a bit better and that'll help us make, make better decisions as, you know, as a society? So you're asking me if society will always make the best decision, but like an Let's informed, an informed decision? <laughs> yeah. um, but we, I, I but, don't know. But there are, there are, there are things that, that, we had that might have seemed 100 years ago um, crazy and, and inexplicable and to, uh, impossible to... To grasp that, that I, we I do, think there'll be think. A, a growing knowledge of what it is. Um, however, it's always going to advance faster than society will keep up with it, right? So there will always be things where society isn't aware of what it is or the consequences, etc. And how do we handle that? Um, I don't know. I, I imagine there are probably similar issues completely outside of AI or software that can kind of be thought in the same way. Um, and so that's a, I guess here we've just We've got a particular risk, and it's topical at the moment, so I don't know how we address that. Well, um, thank you for that. I, I, th- right. I think that's actually probably gone some way towards addressing it. The, you know, um, I, I Hopefully people will listen to this and actually take in and learn quite a lot. And again, uh, Kane, I'm glad there are people like you doing this work. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Russell. Kane O'Donnell, Chief Data Scientist at Hamilton-based Aware Group. Thanks to Aware for making Kane available, to Microsoft for making this podcast possible, and to Tina Tiller for engineering the audio on behalf of the spin-off. And thanks to you for listening. I'll be back with another episode of Actually Interesting about the time you've finished processing what you've heard in this one. But just remember this. Machines can do some things really quickly and precisely, and they're good at doing exactly what they're told. But they'll never be as smart as you are. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.